and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. A week closer to your swingers holiday, Ian. Two weeks today. I bet you got with it. Didn't look it up, did I, in the end after uh, you said that to prove that you were wrong and making shit up like you always do. But uh, two weeks today, I'll be sunning it up for a bit of winter sun. I'm surprised that you didn't get more excited when I said it last week. I thought it'd be a pleasant surprise for you. Told the bird bird was over the moon. <laughs> She's already gone. Um, quite a bit MMA to talk about uh, this week. Quite an eventful week, really. I think it, it started kicking off a little bit just after we released last week's episode. Um, massive news, really, about some, Huge. Yeah, some upcoming events. But start with potential sad note, but also an interesting note, I think. Nganu has left the UFC. Um, news as big as the man himself and his punching power. Um, it's kind of part of a two-hit combo after the uh, UFC Fight Night press conference last week, wasn't it? But they have uh, released him, uh, deprived us of Ngarni Jones, which we've been talking about, and everyone's, it sounded like might be getting closer to happening. Um, and they have released him. Um listened to a few bits this week with uh, Nganu. So he was on uh, Ariel Hawani's show. One uh, of the most boring sounding men. Well, I even said to you, didn't I? I, I was, to, to start with, I was outraged by the decision and I was like, what on earth are the UFC doing from a business point of view, letting one of the most terrifying men to ever compete in the cage go? I completely changed my mind by the time he'd bored me to fucking sleep <laughs> with his completely lacklustre personality and boring tones on the show and I suddenly then got it and I, let's be fair Dana from a business perspective doesn't make that many mistakes and you originally think to yourself is letting go that sounds crazy but he's dull he's got no personality he can't sell a fight bar his brutal skills which I know we've had this discussion on a side note should be enough on its own the terrifying frankly power that he's got but in today's world, sadly, it isn't. It's what else have you got? What social media persona and, you know, shit do you bring to the table? And bar the, the frightening power, he brings nothing. Yeah, he's just incredibly boring. I won't try and do an imitation of him because... If he was a packet of crisps, he'd be ready sold. <laughs> Very much enjoyable on a, a night out or a day out at football, then, um, which we'll come on to, definitely. But... Yeah, he's just he's not very interesting to listen to at all. I think it would have sold itself, the fight against Jones. It wouldn't necessarily have needed any build-up or hype or Nganu to come out and start saying that he's going to sleep with Jones's wife or you know bang family members or anything like that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just... I don't really know where he goes next. We had a discussion about this, didn't we, off, off air? Um Probably Bellator. Anywhere that will pay him the most yeah. and, al- and anywhere else by the UFC is going to indulge him in allowing him to have a uh, the boxing, boxing yeah. and, and uh, UFC career. So if I had to call it now, um, Bare Knuckle Fighting FC already come out and said that they're in talks with him. Don't think he'll do that. I think he's eyeing someone in, in, in professional boxing. Um, been rumours of all the big boys, I think. He would be ridiculous, and I can't see him getting a, an ultimately super top tier, an AJ, a Fury, someone like that. Dylan White's been mentioned. Dylan White, I, I could definitely see that. That would be a, he'd make a fair bit of bank off that. I would, I don't see him going any. I say either. There's not like there's lots of options for him, 
Bellator or potentially the Professional Fighters League and fighting for trying to get himself the, the £1 million tournament prize, which he'd run through like butter. And Garner and Jake Paul, superpower in 2023. Please put that fight together. And what uh, that would be like watching a live murder, I think. Can you imagine Jake Paul trying to take... He's oversized on the opponents he fights, then trying to take on Francis Ngannou. I think you'd knock him out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right. I can't see... He won't fight Joshua. That would be comical, to say the least. I mean, Joshua just... might take that fight because no. he's on a bit of a slide. It, it makes him no. for him. It's a bit of a name, and they're both going to make a shitload of money. But it, it feels a... he's he's got frightening power. But I, I, the big point for me that I was saying to you earlier today, no one appreciates the difference that the glove size makes to power. So he's got frightening power with uh, four-ounce UFC gloves on. You put those into boxing gloves, you're spreading the surface area of the hit, which instantly takes the power out of it. Bit sciencey, uh, physics, gimpy, but it's like hitting someone with pillows. If you take off the pillows and you go bare knuckles, you're going to have a lot more force in your punches. So I, I, I wonder how that power translates up through the boxing gloves. Um. If you put a pillow in front of a truck before it hits you, I think it's still probably hurt a little bit. So I wouldn't necessarily... Not as much as if you didn't have a pillow though, <laughs> would it? I think it'd be fine, personally. I'd... Dillian White, I can definitely see. So there's obviously rumours on the boxing note of Dillian White fighting AJ this year. So if Dillian White loses that, I could definitely see him fighting Ngannou. Um I don't think he fights anyone like Wilder. I don't think he fights AJ... Tyson Fury definitely because he's obviously already indulged this and has already been very interested in, in the public about it. Um, and it'll depend entirely, I think, on what happens with Usyk. I think if he loses to Usyk and decides, look, I want a big, massive payday and then I'm going to retire, I can definitely see that fight happening. But, yeah, interesting to see what he does next, really. I would agree with you on the, the Usyk point. I think if he loses to Usyk, then it's the obvious next fight and a bit of a moneymaker for him. The other option I could personally see with Tyson is that if he beats Usyk, he could and he probably won't, given what we said, but retire. Maybe does he then disappear for a year? Oh, they'll classic, I want to come back. Then he'll take on Ngarni because he's out of the game for a while. Ngarni might have had one professional fight or something by then and might steamroll someone of a lesser degree, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, surely Ngannou's target in terms of if he wants to make the most money on a heavyweight fight in boxing is Tyson Fury, isn't it? Yeah, the difficult nature, I think, with boxing as well, and certainly how he translates from MMA into boxing is, yes, he is obviously a, a beast and yeah, he's an absolute monster, but it's going to be significantly more difficult, I think, than people will appreciate him getting into a boxing match and then trying to outbox someone who... Someone like Joe Parker, for example, it's going to be a really boring fight and you think, yeah, he's just going to spark Joe Parker out. But there is every then chance of Joe Parker being, you know, not a fantastic boxer, but he would still potentially outbox Ngannou. And then that hype train is completely derailed. You don't see any big fights with Ngannou because people are like, well, actually, this guy is absolutely garbage. I don't want to see this. Any top 15 heavyweight is going to outbox him, probably even lower than that. But Ngannou would have that, to coin the you know the the phrase a boxer's chance or a puncher's chance because of the power he carries and and that's the problem is if he fights someone who's maybe a bit sloppy keeps her hands down and get thinks right I can throw one to take one takes one off Garner and didn't really realise it 
might be a good night. But Dillian White is a perfect example of that because he's just a, a brawler. He's not someone who's going to ever try and box and he's just going to trade blows with you. So I think Dillian White, it's already been referenced in the, the press this week. That is one that I can definitely see. I think, a, I think that's a good, favourable matchup out of most elite heavyweights for Ngannou as well to get that hype train, maybe spark him out and then build for one of those elite what guys who will box his fucking head off. Or Derek Chisora. One last hurrah Just, for him. It could be. I mean, he's, he's walking target, isn't he? He's yeah. not exactly defensively. He's not exactly quick. That, that again, is a great shout. If you were in Garnu's manager to, like, Derek is a few mil, stand you and get the fuck beaten out of you by Garnu. Which he's already shown that he's more than happy to do if the money's there. But he, I'd be fair to him. He can fucking take a lot of punishment, can't he? You can say a lot of things about Chizora, but... That guy can fucking dish, get dished out of beating too. Yeah, like, very, very. You can't you say resilience, heart, cannot fault in any way, even if his, his boxing skills might not be able to scratch. The more positive news, obviously, regarding uh, UFC, was Jones and Garnet. So, kind of the natural, feels like the kind of bad news, but good news from Dana is we're letting uh, Ngannou go, but you finally get him what you all wanted, which is Jones' heavyweight debut. So, and, and to be fair to them, given that Ngannou did just beat in his last fight Garnet, Garnet is the ranked number two heavyweight in the world, then you would argue that that's the most sensible next fight. Um, you could, one might argue that Garnet is a bad matchup for Jones. Good striker, good striker, you know, very elite level kickboxing. One thing I do remember is Francis Ngannou taking Garnet down in that fight. And... Francis is not remotely the calibre of Wesley that John Jones is. So if Francis and Garnet can take Garnet down, John Jones can fucking go to school with Garnet. And I said to you now, I fancy Jones to match up favourably against even Francis. I think John Jones smashes him. Garnet's the um, betting favourite, isn't he? He is. It is the first time since his, um, I think it was uh, championship fight for the first one as the youngest UFC champion that Jones has been the underdog which is fucking crazy I mean where take all in... that money you've got in I'm your spare say, change yeah. fucking stick it on Jones we're out in Doncaster on um, the night that Jones is making his, his heavyweight debut what UFC number is it is it 285 285, 285. so we, we're, we're attending Doncaster's own MMA local event aren't we a little, little present uh, we uh got purchased for doing some work so uh we are out uh watching i don't even know the name of the promotion which is terrible is it um, um it's not cage rage or something similar, no cage rage is, is a decent promotion it's a, it's a smaller british promotion i can't even tell you which is terrible uh but we're both out with missuses for that vip ring sites uh ringside tickets so thank you very much to the cage deal cage deal to one. the client that got me those tickets so I do appreciate that's very kind of you um, and we are out for a night out in Donny after. Uh, that fight will be now, I think, about five o'clock in the morning yeah, uh, UK Vegas, time because it? it's Vegas. So that is a uh, get pissed, power through, watch John Jones smash up Garner. A very, very long night, but hopefully enjoyable. Can't wait. Uh, should be a good night and that should be the icing on the cake if we don't fall asleep before. Before that, we've got obviously this weekend's, um, this is the first numbered... UFC of the, the year? Correct. 283. Um, quite a few big fights on this as well. 
Yeah, again, one of those fight cards that's kind of got lost a little bit in the card rejig for a number of reasons that have gone back a little while and all the news about Jones and Ngarno this week. So I feel like it hasn't quite got the um, the attention and the focus that maybe it deserves. You've got the uh, light heavy, well, vacant light heavyweight title up for grabs. So this is Glover Teixeira, number two ranked against uh, Jamal Hill. Number seven ranked, so not a big fan of someone that low getting a title fight. This is, we have talked about it in previous episodes, that caused by the chaos of the nightmare judging of Blakowski and Kalev. So because of that and the nonsense that that was given as a draw, no one took the title and the UFC decided rather than replay that fight to have a winner, they'd bounce it down uh, onto uh, this fight. So I believe Glover is probably the, the huge betting favourite. Um yeah, I think so. Um, it's, you know, it's really weird talking about this now because it seems only sort of last week that we were talking about Prohaska vacating title, and we've already got to the second fight that was after that. Now it's mental. And Prohaska's still going to be out for a lot longer yet yeah. um, with his injury. So um, winner of you've either got two two routes the UFC go down is they either. Whoever wins this title, depending if they get banged up, they take a bit of a rest, they redo Blakowski-Ankalev, winner gets the winner of this. That'd be the obvious route. Other option, if they want to do it a bit quicker, is whoever wins this, which most people would seem to be suggesting probably going to be Glover, would go against Ankalev, who kind of unarguably won the fight against Blakowski-Behovic. Uh, so I yeah. think um, that would be that would be the two options that they've got. Well, I think when we first discussed this fight getting announced, it... My opinion of it is it's more of a a gimme fight, to be honest. Teixeira should win this and, and should win it quite comfortably. I haven't seen the odds, and I I think you're absolutely spot on. I'm sure that it'll be overwhelming favourite to win this, but it just seems like a way to give him the title without actually just handing the title over. Could and should definitely apply. Will, different kettle of fish. Jamal Hill might be one of these... This could be a slightly Rocky-esque moment in that no one... I mean, to, not a lot of people even know him. You know, He's been making his way slowly along. If he's been training like a monster, Glover does have holes in his game. We saw against um, Yuri that he, he you know, was winning that fight quite clearly and then got tapped out, which is crazy given that he's a, an elite black belt himself in the last round by a bit of a... Got tagged, made a, a foolish schoolboy error in going for the takedown and then next thing you know he's getting choked out. So he's got holes in his game. So kind of agree with you but I tell you what if I was having a, a sneaky looking for a sneaky little double bet and a, a big outsider I could see Hill doing it you know we'll, we'll, we'll discuss yeah, next week I'd, I'd be very very shocked I think Teixeira becomes a two time champion this weekend you then got uh, the fourth match at flyweight of uh, Figueroa and Moreno this is the first ever quadrilogy has there ever been a quadrilogy in Ooh, UFC before? I didn't even know it had its own fucking name. A quadrilogy. <laughs> nice usage. Um, I don't think there has. Good good, vo- uh, good vernacular there. Good use of the vocab. But um, not entirely sure. I haven't done my research here. Is it 1-1-1? One, one, and one? I.e. one win each and a draw? Uh, I'm or just going to some... nod and say yes. So, well, neither of us has done our research in that respect. Or maybe... It might be two one to one of them, and that one of those decisions was really ropey from it like that. But I wonder if it's one one and one in terms of one win each and a, and a split decision draw uh, from memory, but I could well be wrong. Um, but decent fights before again the the 
125 guys kind of get slept on a little bit being as the the, the smaller men just like they do in boxing that nobody seems as, uh, as interested as they do in watching the bigger boys fight but that should be a good scrap you got it spot on oh, well it's one 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 well done thank you very much <laughs> if only i could remember my daily things in life as well as i can football well and i like to uh, replace your windscreen it's <laughs> been cracked for god knows how long 100% exact example <laughs> don't remember ever to change my windscreen for two months but i can remember a quadrilogy uh fight record can you tell me the first where the first fight took place as in what Fuck you have seen now jesus no no not a I, you should punch me in the face for being too much of a gimp if i could tell you that <laughs> if i had to guess just looking where we're at now if 220 no 256. 256. December um, 2020. So. Right. Is it really? Mm. I just suppose that is two and a bit years ago now, isn't it? But, um, well, they've fought, three, they've fought every single year, basically. That is so pretty 2020, crazy. 2020, 2021, 2023. Um, but surely this is the last one. Like, There's only so much that you can have the same fight, well, and a quadrilogy the, seems... There's not many guys at that weight, so it's a thin division, but equally... Given it is one one and one, whoever wins this has got a big argument to say, let's not what rewind this shit now. I'm 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 two one up, that's it. But um you, you surely it's like saying, let's just play I don't know, I'm gonna say something in Premier League this year, but it's, it's a bit different. But let's watch Barca versus Real Madrid every single week in La Liga. You just get bored of it eventually. You would, but some people would argue watching the two best of anything over and over again is better than watching other options. So Screams European Super League, does that? Um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I, again, I suppose I think that is not only the fighters and the record, that is also reflective of the division and the lack of emerging talent and challenges, would probably be my take on that. Um, third fight, anyway, uh, on the main... Again, we won't go into super detail uh, on this card, but we've got Gilbert Burns versus Neil Magny. Um Neil Magny's always been that again. I, I I seem to find myself using this almost every week, but gatekeeper role has a fantastic record, but always seems to fall against the elite of the elite. And he's a really good test for the up and coming guys. He's been around, I don't even know how many years, but I bet you he's got twenty UFC fights, something like that. Seventeen, eighteen, twenty UFC fights easily. Um, it's been around ages. Very good record. Unless you are the elite, elite, he beats you. Now he is no underrated jujitsu, and then he's up against a literal former world champion in Gilbert Burns. So this could be jujitsu heavy, but equally Burns has definitely been evolving his game and has become a bit more of a kickboxer. So that 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 definitely is uh, is a good fight. And I'm I saying, think- is it potentially a sleeper? fight of the night because a lot of people will be focused on the, obviously the two main events well I didn't know how much detail we wanted to go into Sleeper for me is Paul Craig Johnny Walker only because Paul Craig <laughs> Scottish you know we've got a, a, a home nation fighter uh, in there fighting Johnny Walker who at one point flew into the public eye and was looking like the next best thing since sliced bread and they were talking about being a, a genuine he, he almost looked like a young John Jones very rangy very powerful good kickboxing good run all of a sudden got smashed and he's on something like in his, his last record I think he's out of his last seven fights he might be one and six so he's absolutely got smashed by people. So that feels it's in Brazil. He's Brazilian. It's a bit of a gimme for him against Paul Craig. But Paul Craig uh, is definitely 
um, you know, a nightmare for someone if they haven't been training their jiu-jitsu. So I've got to say, if there was a bit of a sleeper fight for me, it would be that one. Something hilarious about a Brazilian being called Johnny, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, exactly. I mean, his full name is much longer and it's not just Johnny Walker, but yeah, there's something quite comical about that. The only other thing I've got to mention on this one because uh, he is a legend of the sport, so much so that you'd never even heard of him, which is horrendous, but Maurizio Shogun Hua, final fight before retirement. Because who... I've literally never heard of him. And then you just started going, hoo-ha, at me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I used to just say, Rua, but apparently in Brazil they had to say, hoo But he is a legend of the sport. He, this guy, he won the Pride Grand Prix in 2005, which is almost, not unanimously, because that would be, but a large, overwhelming number of people would argue that's the best ever Grand Prix assembled. Highest level that you've got. He'd be um, Rampage Jackson. He had Vanderlei Silva in his prime. He, he That was a, an open weight Grand Prix. So he had like um, Fedor. I don't think he beat Fedor. Someone else beat Fedor. He beat, um, who was the Croatian kickboxer? Krokop. Um, Krokop was in that. It was an incredible record that he won. And that was, sadly, that was his peak nearly 20 years ago. So I'm probably <laughs> showing my age a little bit there. But he is a legend and he will definitely crop up at one point in the future on our bet Bonner segment because he's had some absolute wars. And one in particular that brings to mind is him against Dan Henderson, another warrior who's now retired. I was nine years old when that took place. It's made me feel old. That was, I mean, Pride at that point was like the UFC now. That was the peak in Japan. Didn't give a fuck. Everyone was juicing. Too fuck that these hulks of men were coming in and fighting. That was very niche, and not many people were into the into MMA at that point. But I can remember watching um, some of the fights in that Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm just looking. It's a beat over Eamon Arona. Oh no, Arona beat his Carlos team. Arona was yeah. amazing back in there. He was the one that I showed you the other day that got powerbombed by um, <laughs> Rampage Jackson. That's what he most famously thought, is getting powerbombed KO'd. I've also just realised that I've just said that I was nine at the time. I was actually 11. I forgot how old I am. It's not good, is it? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm that young that I've already forget how old I am. That's an old cunt's move. Well, when you were start... about 28 or something at that point. 2005. If you can't remember, it's all right. Well, I was like 18, 18 in 2000. 18. 23. 23. Jesus Christ. Um, and on that note, so this is the point of the show uh, where we will review and discuss some of the greatest and most memorable fights in MMA history. Uh, we call it the Bonner segment, um, named aptly after a fallen soldier in MMA world. Um, we give our listeners a bit of fun homework. We'll post the fight to watch on our Twitter page. Uh, always make sure to uh, follow that just to make sure that you can catch that with enough time, of course, to hear us every week. Um, and then the following week, we'll run through it. This week, picked out by Ian McGregor-Diaz 2 at UFC 202. Good fight. Enjoyed re-watching it this week. Don't think I had re-watched it since I watched it live. Um, it was UFC 202, as you say. Um, first fight was Diaz took on 11 days notice. Um, completely threw the world off kilter. Whenever, this was what Connor at his peak when in the first fight. Everyone thought he was going to run through anyone and Diaz absolutely fucking ruined that hype train. Humbled him. Absolutely humbled him. Took a bit of a beating in the first round. Moment got to the floor. Bang. Choked him out and choked him out quick. Gave him, gave Connor and the rest of the world a bit of a reality check. But 
this was then they tried to line up the rematch for UFC 200 to make it part of the, you know the, the big centenary cars that they do but then there was a bit of an injury so it was knocked down to 202 when it took place so um, when I was watching it uh, back this week uh, popped up it was at welterweight so it was one of those events where Connor was like fuck it I'm not going to bother even cutting any weight again done to try and allow him uh, the best chance the thing that I noticed almost immediately when we started watching it was when oh, they, they flashed it up to be fair first so, but that kind of was, was the reminder was the size difference so Nate's six foot Connor's five nine you know and they were standing there it looked a, 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 a huge height difference didn't they yeah definitely did um so, I mean, if you look at the first round, try not to go into too much detail and keep it more of an overcap, but um, great game plan from Connor. Absolutely savage leg kicks chopping away at, at Diaz. Must have caught him with probably um, 15, I would have thought. Diaz checked one kick in that whole first round. Um, Connor was quite composed and was just sticking to the game plan, staying out of range um, and put him down with a straight left hook. Um, I scored it. 10-9 Connor. I think it was pretty much difficult to score at anything else. I think there was a lot of, and we'll go into it a little bit more as we get a bit further into the fight, but a lot of issue taken with the overall score. Um, this is one of the few rounds in the fight that I think was fairly cut and dry. No doubt 10-9, not a 10-8, because even though they put him down, he didn't actually give him uh, you know, an actual smash in, but... Halfway through the round, you could tell the damage, and that Diaz was really struggling to move on that leg. Those kicks were finding a home every time. Some of the wind up Connor was doing, and just Nate just either didn't care or just wasn't quick enough to react and check it. But. He actually tried to land or attempts to land a lot more significant strikes throughout this first round of Diaz, um, but landed significantly less than Connor. So, yeah, um, well, they went to the corner in between, and corner uh, Nate's corner saying to him, "No more free kicks." You've got, you know, you've got to check this shit. You can't just let him keep chopping away. Straight away, he'll come out of the round. Connor drops him. Nate tries to get him to engage on the floor, giving a jiu-jitsu. Connor's like, no, no, no. Get back up. Let's go again. Carry on again. Bang. Drops him again. It's, by this point, Nate's, Nate's face is getting bloodied up and he's cut him. He's got some, some pretty... Uh, he's clearly having a really hard time throwing around, uh, just moving around with the legs. Um, and then all of a sudden... You're thinking to yourself, this is a 10-8 in that he's put him down twice. He's absolutely smashing him. Out of nowhere, Nate comes back into the round. Last minute, rocks him against the clinch. And suddenly you think to yourself, fucking hell, he's in for a fight here. But I scored that 10-9 Connor as well. Yeah, it was very close to being a 10-8 other than obviously the way that the, the round ended. So yeah, I also had a 10-9. Um, so you think Connor seems to be quite confident going into the third round. But you also get the feeling, as in the first fight, that Nate starts to sense Connor's tiring here. He can't carry on fighting like this for the whole fight and starts to pour on the pressure a little bit. Um, Nate's doing his usual. He's gobbing off to him and he's flipping him the bird. He's sort of pointing at him all the same. And you can see exactly like the first fight, he's trying to drag him into, into deep waters, even though he's bleeding pretty bad. Um, towards the end of the round, um, Connor looks in a bit of trouble, gets a bit wobbled, and, and Nate starts teeing off on him. Ten um, nine Diaz for me. Yeah, he, I think at this point he starts to gas out, or he's, he's slowly starting to gas out. I think Rogan called it um, just in the, the the round before that it looked as though he was starting to gas out and looking so it was starting to tire. Um, 
and I think it will far more evident in this particular round. One real good bit of commentary that I picked up on, and I think at this point he was still a fighter, not even a commentator he is now, and I really like it, his um, his breakdowns, is um, Dominic Cruz. Fantastic welterweight and under... Sorry, welterweight, he was a bantamweight, an under, underweighted uh, a fighter, but he's it's so insightful. And I heard in the, in the commentary, it was actually Rogan said, in the build-up, Dominic Cruz has said... Connor cannot fight. This version of Connor can't fight a five-round fight like that. If you look, the torque, the, the power and effort he puts into those kicks, they do take it out of you. They're designed to put someone away, not for a 25-minute fight. And I think by this point, it was brutally honest. You could see that this Connor is struggling a little bit here. You can see in his face, he's a little bit like, fucking hell, here we go again. He's starting to doubt himself a little bit. I think this was, for me... It sounds a bit silly because he, he didn't do necessarily as much as he'd done in the, the first two uh, where he won them and quite comfortably. But I think this was probably his smartest round of the fight because this is the point where obviously Diaz is getting a bit more momentum. He's starting to slowly guess out. I think at this point, the blood is sort of gushing from Diaz's face. I think he had a crimson mask at this point. It looked somewhat more out of um, and wrestling in the late 90s. But he obviously uses IQ to then... Not necessarily go gung ho, but also avoid taking any significant shots to the point where he might then get put on his back again. Absolutely, good cornering as well. That was the kind of line of line of uh, advice he was getting from the corner. Some points where, again, that's when you know you're in a scrap. It was even getting to the point that McGregor was getting covered in Diaz's blood from the clinches, wasn't he? Where he's tying up and you're coming off and you're seeing like a, a basically a blood face print of Nate all over Connor's back. Um, so the fourth, when he went to the fourth round, that's the first time Connor had been into the fourth round. So he get, he's literally untested at that level. In terms, obviously he sparred five rounds, probably more than that. But in terms of an actual fight, he'd never been to that stage before. He comes out again, back to back kicks. Like right, let's go again. I think it was good coin. Back to the game plan. You, you do back to rounds one and two. Keep your distance. Don't let him get the momentum. And it felt, if you were just to look at the two fighters by that point. Nate is significantly more damaged than Connor, and even though Nate seems to have more energy and a bit more lively, um, more kicks from Connor. There's a one really brutal uh, standing elbow. We caught him with a standing elbow, and I've got it. I thought that was the closest round of the fight. If you, if there was any argument over which way you were going to go, that was the one. I'll be honest, that for me, ten nine Connor. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think. As I say, it was more to do with the intelligence. Um, he could definitely have thrown it away there. And I think a McGregor earlier in his career probably would have done so. But it probably helped a little bit with the fatigue, to be honest. Because I think if he... Don't think he had any felt, options. Yeah, exactly. It? I think if he felt still alive and energetic at that point, he'd have probably rushed in and, and might have made a, a silly mistake. But that, back to your point there, that's fight IQ. That's a champion's heart. Sometimes not all fights are going to go your way. You know, that's... You know, sometimes you just have to stick, cling in there. Um, on the fifth round, I heard the, in between the fourth and the fifth, uh, Diaz's corner was saying, which I actually thought was slightly incorrect, but they were saying, you need this round. So they were basically saying, it's tied. You need to win this round if you're going to win the fight. I'll be honest, I thought that was wrong. I thought they were saying, you need the KO. I decided in 3-1 three, three down at that point. I could see how it could be 2-0 in, in, in some people's eyes, but I did pick up on that. Uh, again, Connor comes out, trying to now look into that reserve tank and find something. Nasty kick from him, nice flying knee, 
And then Nate starts to smother him. Nate, you can see now the bl- the blood is clearly bothering him. He's wiping his eye and it's, it's literally trickling down his face and in his eye, causing problems. Um, Diaz looks for a couple of takedowns and actually really good and probably the best examples I can remember of McGregor as uh, takedown defence, stuffing him. At this point, Nate's pointing again, gives him the middle finger because he was walking away and backpedaling, didn't he? Uh, and, and Connor follows that up with a nice combo. But right near the end again, a, a fighter's fighter. You, Nate senses, maybe I need to win this by knockout. Comes on strong. Big, big elbow from him with a couple of minutes left. Connor stuffs the takedown. And then right at the end of the fight, I think it was like 10 seconds left, Diaz got, got him taken down and then the buzzer goes. Yeah. I had it purely because of that, really. Again, tight round, but... Looking at the, the scoring criteria, 10-9 Diaz, 48-47 Connor for me. Agreed. Um, there were a few, I think, that had this as a draw, and I thought it was in the last round. but It was a majority, I wrote them down, it was a majority win yeah. for Connor. Two 48s, 47, and a uh, 47-47. Yeah. But I'll be honest, re-watching it, it was clearer for me that it was Connor than it was I remember. I remember thinking, at the time watching that, that was a five in the morning job, thinking... Um, I think I watched that with Claire, forced my girlfriend to get, to get up and watch it with me uh, in bed. And I remember th- I was saying to her, well, I think he might have lost this. Well, this gave birth to one of the most used memes you'll see on Twitter these days. And it's uh, Nate Diaz at the end when obviously he finds out he's lost, muttering, what the fuck? So he clearly thought they did enough at the point. Do you think then, oh, good point though, is that a more used internet meme than what he said after his first fight? I ain't surprised, motherfuckers. No, no one is. That is the yeah. best, one of the best lines ever when Rogan's chatting. He's just there. I ain't surprised, motherfuckers. I thought at the end, uh, and I don't know if you watched the interview that they gave at the end as well, the post-match interview, um, I thought it were really intelligent. Again, you never see this McGregor anymore, do you? But um, he literally came out and said, we win or we learn. And I learned from the last fight. I thought, yeah, you did. To be fair, um, he was a phenomenal for a reason. Yeah, like he 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 has checked, but that hundred mil in the bank. I'm telling you, not being funny. I give you a hundred mil and fucking six months to do what you want. You'd be a fucking cunt as well. I'd be going to um, jujitsu place down road, kickboxing, and I'd be battering you, mate. As I say, he was that people only see the gregarious twatish Connor. He had a work ethic and a, a mentality of being better that took him to where he is on top of all the persona that he had. You know, that was what, you know, the Mystic Max stuff. He wasn't just talking shit about people like he does now. He's saying, I'm going to fucking knock this guy out with a left hand in the first round and then doing it. You know, he slept to Jose Aldo 14 seconds after the man had gone on an undefeated tear for a decade. That wasn't luck. You know, there's fight footage of him showing in the training room beforehand, I'm going to do this, slip to the left and crack him. You know, he, there was a point before he became too big for his own fucking boots that he was phenomenal and deserved all the success. Now he is just a bit of an old man chasing the limelight, <laughs> lot, you know, big payday, listen to his own hype. He's not what he used to be. He's not anywhere near the Connor that he was then. Juicing, smashing cook, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird... Sad, one. to be honest with you. It, it is weird because, like you say, he was a very, very talented man. He might still be. But that fire has just completely gone out. I just yeah, he's not the same back. person. He's still yeah. the same fighter, still out of skills. In fact, he's probably got more skills because, again, you learn every fight. But he doesn't have the application to the game that he had before, which is great. He probably doesn't spend as much time with uh, Coach Kavanagh, who, again, I think was a very sensible, de-escalating uh, voice in his ear, kind of 
don't be going out smashing coke. Fuck, gets himself to the gym. Whereas now he's probably surrounded by a load of groupies and yeah, come on, let's go out, let's do this. So give me that uh, cork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, really, it just sounds just like that. Um, but I feel like he, John Cavanagh, has less influence over him as he used to, and 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 Connor's not as disciplined as he was when he first came to the game. But and why would he be? I, I still don't think he comes back personally. He does because he's chasing the more money and he lives a lavish life. He's like the UFC's. But does he need to? No, he, should he not need to? No. But when you've got yachts and shit like that. I reckon an average running cost of a yacht, again, I Google weird shit, but average running cost of a yacht in fuel, crewing, maintenance, not owning the yacht, is £15 million a year. A year! So when you see these motherfuckers that have got a yacht, how much money does it take to have and maintain a yacht? He's got other side gigs these days, doesn't he? Proper 12 and all that sort of stuff. Sold it, didn't he? Yeah, but he's still, he's still an ambassador. Yeah. I don't think he's got any shares anymore. Sick of seeing him do that walk up into it and his little tiny figure in the bottom corner and he's holding it. Like, no, I'm done I with I think this. he say him and Mayweather shouldn't ever need to work again and should be able to pay for their whole families never to do the same for generations. But they won't because of the type of people they are. I'm going to wait until the boxing segment for this, but because you've mentioned him there, Mayweather has uh, announced his... Next fight, announced it this morning. We're fighting at the O2 in London. On the really? Feb. Exhibition fight against Liam Harrison. Okay. Didn't know that. I mean, mm. good for Harrison. I don't Lead really lad. see what um, Mayweather gets out of that. And can you have an exhibition between two pro boxers? Like, st- well, one's retired. But... Wait, not Ah, but sorry. The, William tra- yes, yeah. I, I thought he, so he, he trains just down the road, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, the, the same one. As in Great, uh, but. Registered with one. Why uh, can't we have a kick? I tell you what, if he was allowed to kick Mayweather just fucking once, that is a fucking game changer. However, I've set you up again because as of a couple of hours ago, it's now been cancelled. He's pulled so out of ca- Who Mayweather has? No, Harrison. Right. He said he's got to have surgery. He said, weirdly... I mean, if he got that fight for him, great, but he's just going to get his face boxed off. What I would love would just be, just, just kick him once. Yeah. Just break the rules. Just fucking smash right. a leg kick After into him. After you've lost the entire fight, just boot him in head. Look, look, you're about to lose on points or whatever. If it's <laughs> six rounds, you know, just fucking one. Absolutely. He, he could probably break his leg. Easy. It would be one of the greatest moments of sport in history, wouldn't it? If it just randomly <laughs> brought... I tell you now, you usually, I'm sure Mayweather's very... Uh, cute, if that's the right word, in these kind of ways that he puts penalty clauses in. So if you break the rules and fucking smash me the leg kick, you get not only lose all your money, you have to pay me ten mil. There must be a billionaire out there somewhere that will say, Harrison, here's a hundred mil, crunch him with a fucking rib breaker. Get Iron Lad on case. I, I say, I'm, I see if my, my my kickboxing mate will give him a smash to fucking to the ribs like he did to me. See if that fucking changes things. But um, yeah. Um, and having gone kickboxing for the first time in my life last weekend and getting tuned up a little bit, it's a game changer. Leg kicks are ridiculous. For our listeners, you wouldn't know that Ian had been to kickboxing because he's only mentioned it 17 times this week and moaned about his ribs. He's got the smallest bruise on the side of his, his hip and he's complained about it all week. I think I've got broken ribs and I've been underplaying it. <laughs> Fucking dinged up with one body shot. Uh, Googling bruised, how long do bruised ribs take to heal? Three to six weeks. That's getting getting ready to write 
banknotes on there. Oh, here's my pin number. Give this to me, my girlfriend if I die. It's a, it's a game changer for you, for you listeners out there. One crunching uh, sidekick is just puts just brings you into respect how difficult it must be the life of a professional fighter. Training, taking a bad one, you just misjudge a kick, you forget to block, bang. Yeah, it was a bit of a rude awakening, if I'm honest with you. I wouldn't know. I'm undefeated. I've Get yourself fought, to the gym. But I've never fought, but I'm, I'm undefeated. Um, have you picked a fight for next week? I have. Um, so next fight I'm going to go for. A bit of a shorter one again. I'm going to try and mix it up and make sure we don't go kind of five-rounder followed by a five-rounder for, for people. So this one, arguably the greatest ever comeback in UFC history, and we'll leave it at that. Czech Congo versus Pat Barry. Link is already on Twitter. Speedy. I like it. Yeah, one of my favourites, this, that you've chosen, so good Absolute belt of a fight. Again, in terms of what you're watching and you think might happen, happen, terrific fight. Up there, as you say, phenomenal fight. Watch it. We'll break it down next week. Be a lot quicker than this week's breakdown. Yeah, and uh, a lot more entertaining, I think. Um, Football, then. What are you trying to say, by the way? (laughs) More entertaining. You're trying to say I'm a boring cunt. I said football, then. (laughs) Move on. Um, What a good weekend for it, really. Again, Seems to be this way. I, I'm, again, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I seem to say it every single week since we've started this podcast, footballing results have not gone either of our way. Certainly not my way. I mean, yours seems to have maybe equalised and stayed poor, but oh, thanks, mate. That makes it bad. Liverpool are in a horrendous vein of form and absolutely got schooled by Brighton, like, embarrassingly beaten at Brighton. I were out this weekend and I saw it on the TV and I remember just just messaging you and I was a bit like, oh, it's gone again. I didn't expect that. Oh, it's gone again. Um, I mean, apparently we actually held out for a while before <laughs> we actually then fucking got battered and then thought, here we go. But we've been absolutely, I think it was near and at half time. They scored just before half time, but they absolutely battered us. And it was a humbling. We keep saying about it, I'm getting bored. Brighton are a decent team. Very now, much they're so. going to get savaged by the transfer window if they sell all their best players. Man for man, Brighton are a top six or seven team in the league. They won't sell anyone else. Oh, we'll come on to Trossard shortly, but they won't sell anyone else um, in January. I think all the potential transfers are more likely to happen in summer. And you've seen how Brighton deal with things. They'll get absolute mega money. Ben White is still the most egregious transfer I think I've ever seen. Him going for 50 million, considering he'd played or it one season for him in the, the Premier League obviously outstanding with uh, Leeds and previous was it the championship with you yeah, yeah championship with us and I think we're not count no we're not counting it did look good for that season to be fair but not 50 million pound for one season good but I remember no. he looked good for Brighton he looked very good at Leeds and he looked good at Brighton as well he did look quality and now being played slightly out of position as a right back it seems these days and, and doing well so yeah but since Deserve's come in we did a, a piece on him very early in the podcast that I thought it'd be a quite a good acquisition. Brighton always seem to do very well when it comes to um, prospects uh, that you've never particularly heard of with their scouting network or with managers. Obviously, they've seen it with Graham Potter um, and now we deserve it. But yeah, they're flying at the moment. Yeah, um, look really good. And just in terms of um, from Liverpool's point of view, we get them again in the FA Cup now after going through a midweek. So hooray, we'll get another humbling down uh, at Brighton. But um, I mean, the game week didn't start terrifically well for you with your Friday night kickoff on it away to Villa. Arguably our best performance of the season. And then they lost 2-1. So I don't, don't understand football anymore. Um, Mash is obviously on borrowed time. Um, 
an FA Cup win against someone who barely score in the league but seem to score four goals against us isn't necessarily um, a good thing, I suppose. But, yeah, I, I just don't understand it. Villa, I don't think, were particularly impressive either. I thought Emery might have done a lot more since coming in and he doesn't seem to have changed all that much. There seems to be, if they don't concede, they'll hit you on the break. But there were maybe four or five chances Lee should have taken. It should have been out of sight at half time. Very good first goal for it, I thought. I mean, swift, wasn't it? Corner really for Leeds, bang, yeah. on the counter. A couple of passes, cut straight through, yeah. Wonderful finish from Bailey. Um, that was, a uh, you know, counter-attacking at its best, I yeah. thought, Villa, uh, in, in, in that game. But I do like Bailey. I think he, Bailey looks a lot better under Emery than he did under Gerard as well. Very Since highly rated. Spent yeah. a lot of money on him. Was was tearing up in the Bundesliga for Leverkusen. Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, came in with a lot of potential. So seems to start to realise that. Depressing. And you know the one for me that I, I literally hadn't even thought about this. And I, I remember sadly, I'll probably be time stamped in my mind for a long time. Saturday, you just texted me out of nowhere. I don't like to say it, but. Man, you're going to win the title, and I didn't. I didn't even. I literally, before you'd said that, I was like, "What are you talking about?" In my mind, suddenly looked at the table and was like, "Oh shit!" If you listen back, and this is sad because I have listened back to a few episodes that we've done, there's been a number of mentions that I've sort of slipped in saying, "You want to just keep your eye on them because they keep winning and no one's talking about them at all." And all of a sudden, you get to this point where they're beating Man City with one of the most ridiculous offside decisions. Let's not. Ignore that at that point. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, again, we could easily get... We, we, we love our good rants about VAR and, and offside. How on earth is that a goal? It's just dog shit. Oh, he's not interfering with play. He's just... He's clearly... <laughs> in, in anyone's definition of interfering with play, he's interfering with play. You, you, you've you never watched a game of football if you don't think... Was it Rashford? Mm-hmm. Rashford's run? That is not... Interfering with play. If, I, if Rashford doesn't make that run, belief. I think it's a Kanji or Ake, one of the two, but they're there ready to clear that ball. If Rashford isn't there, the ball is easily collected by the defender. And until, obviously, Rashford then gets out of the way and um, Fernandez puts it in, there's no danger there. So a really weird, weird situation. But again, it's another win and it's continuous wins for them. Um, obviously, until the most recent one. It seems a bit weird. I don't... Why have we got Wednesday night games now, by the way? Trying to catch up because of fucking World Cup, World Cup isn't it? World Cup. We've got to smash a load of games, games in, in, in at the moment. Let's but, put it on um, a Wednesday, but not on a Friday. <coughs> um, yeah, there were a few other results just to point out. Everton lost again. I think Good. they were 1-0 up. Yeah. He has to, to Southampton. And we've we've said, haven't we, separately, how dog they shit we awful. think the appointment of uh, Jones is for Southampton. And all of a sudden, he's gone and beat. City and then we're away at Everton, aren't he? So Typical. maybe we might be eating our own words. Typical tapping up podcast. Um, but yeah, Lampard has to be on the verge now. The, all this nonsense you see about uh, the owners had been advised not to attend by their private security and stuff because there's been threats on their safety. And then Merseyside Police came out and said, We haven't heard out. I don't know what you're talking about, which made it even more embarrassing for him. But yeah, Lampard has to be on his last legs. Um, Potter might have saved his job, do you think? Yeah. With, uh, with that but win. now. Well, they lost against Fulham, didn't they, in the game week that we were talking about there. Obviously, they then beat... That previous game no, week... They beat Palace 1-0, didn't they? As you say, it's all getting congested. But yeah, they beat... I, I think he probably saved his job by beating just, Palace. Yeah, I think only just. Um, Newcastle did it again. Oh, I've never seen a 
penalty taken, or I haven't seen it in a long while, where someone hits it with one foot and then kicks it with the other and it gets disallowed? I, I'll be honest, this was a game that hadn't really been on my radar. I had You said about it to me, and I actually had to watch it, and I was like, you jammy cunt. I mean, talk about jammy in terms of slipping and getting away with that, but it's a letter of the rule. It definitely touches it, so it's, it's definitely disallowed, but it was one of those games where, obviously, someone's good run of form had to come to an end, and it was very, very tight. I think both teams looked very good and either team could have come away with a win there and you'd have felt as though it wasn't egregious to the other. Win for the Gunners again. Fucking in the North London derby. Good result Continuous. away to Spurs, isn't it? Spurs look poor. They look really, really poor. Um, there's some issue going on there and there's some Spurs fans that want Conte out. I'm not entirely sure what they would do to it. People want him potch back and I'm just like, oh, you go around the same cycle over and over and over Not again. Spursy at all, isn't it? No, it's I just... don't like him. Won't him out. Get someone else who's a defi- you know, a Who much I already tried to get out. Yeah. And then we'll get about, oh, they get potch back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not Spursy at all. Just ridiculous. Uh, Brentford, obviously continuing their good run of form. Uh, Wolves beating West Ham. Moyes is definitely on the edge. There's been loads of rumours in press this week that his replacement has been lined up. Um, I think I saw Sean Dyche was touted to go there, which would be very interesting. The but... funny thing is, I'd read, don't know if you saw this one, that Moyes was being lined up by Everton yes, to go back to replace Lampard. And like, Jesus Christ, what, we're going back 15 years in time here? Which would like... be interesting to see. Um, and then... A couple of extra won. sneaky game weeks in, or games in there, weren't there? Two teams played twice in terms of... They did. Um, thank God for Elise and his magical left foot and free kick, because otherwise we really would be talking about the scum maybe being fully in the title race. So thank God that um, Crystal Palace got a last-minute equaliser there. What a goal that was. Sensational. Absolutely ridiculous. Still said to you, if I'm being overly critical, thought keeper could have done better. It wasn't top, top corner. It was a foot away from the corner. So a better keeper, like an Allison, might well have saved that. But outstanding free kick. Yeah, outstanding. nonsense for me. No one is saving that. I, I don't. The power, the venom... Ridiculous. Goal. I reckon I could have if I didn't have my rib injury. Oh, right, yeah. He just saved it with a kick and just booted it away. Um, and the coolest celebration that you'll see in a long time. Ah, ice cold on it. Just walked away, not bothered. I mean, I, I almost was like, are they 2 1 up or something? Have I missed? Uh, is it? Does it not mean it's worth a point? It was I loved that it. Uh, literally. Nonchalant. It. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's one of those where you're like, you know what, good for you. He'll uh, be watching that back and showing that to a lot of mates. And then obviously, last night's game. A weird one. You, I don't think you were watching this to start with, were you? I wasn't. I was watching something with the missus because she was away for the weekend, so I couldn't be watching. And we'd been out for the football. Um, I'd watched the Liverpool match earlier in the week, and then I'd been out with you to the Leeds match. So I felt I couldn't get away with football three nights in a row, so I had to let her watch some dog shit. So, um... Really weird one, because it were all City, as you'd expect. Um, Spurs then scored two very late goals in the first half. They're booed off at half-time, which... Again, as a Leeds fan, you watch teams like this where they constantly succeed and then they start booing them off at half-time and I'm just like, you've got to get a grip of the situation. I can't fathom Leeds winning four titles in the last five seasons um, and then City come out and absolutely blow them away. So first first six minutes of the, the second half, they score two um, and then basically just batter them for the rest of the game. I don't think Spurs really had any big opportunities in the second half to turn it around and then lo and behold City fans are really happy at the end and we're cheering and it's all changed but I did particularly like the 
post-match conference from Guardiola. So he he came out specifically um, and said, look, we've lost the passion, fire, desire um, to win from minute one. Arsenal have still got it and Arsenal will beat us if we continue to play like this and Arsenal will win the league. Um, and then he called out the fans and I absolutely love that because the, the amount of success that that man has given that football club over the last few years, yes, he's doing it with significant riches, don't be wrong, but he's clearly one of the best, if not the best manager in the world. To boo him off and his team off at half-time when you've got 45 minutes to turn it round, as they eventually did do, is... So short-sighted, it's unbelievable. It's something that Arsenal and Manchester United fans would do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. And I think you're right that given 99% of other football fans across the league or the world would be delighted with their success and what they're going on. I think equally, if you just were to say a point on it is City have fallen off a little bit, haven't they? So they've got so got away with a few this season. Look at that. They've got a squad that was absolutely dominating and they've added arguably the best striker in the world to that lineup. They should be crushing the league by 20 points and they're not. So can I actually understand some of the criticism coming his way is in should they be performing better than they currently are? Certainly, if you ask me. Booing off at half time. I mean, seems a bit strong. I mean, again... It, yeah. Is it, though, just the boo of that performance in terms of you guys are dog shit, a way to try it in this game and to almost motivate them to get them to come out and look for a reaction like they clearly got rather than booing of, oh, we want Pep out, we're terrible. You know, is, is it a... But it works both ways. You can... The booing at a team off at half-time, I've seen it happen with Leeds quite a lot. I've seen it happen with a lot of teams quite a lot. But that's what happens when you've been in horrendous runs of form where you're winless in seven games and then you're doing the exact same at half-time and the manager's not changing anything. The players look disinterested. They were the better team in the first half. They were quite considerably the better team. Spurs did very little. I think they had an expected goal um, tally of less than one over the entire game. So it's not as though they had a a, a massive chance going forward and, and they were battering City. I just think... As with everything that you get a lot of these days in football, the fans are completely and utterly spoiled. Uh, it just comes across as children saying, "Well, I want—I know I've got just about everything. I've got ninety-nine percent of everything that I want, but I want hundred percent." So, uh, yeah, isn't that the way of the world? But uh, especially when, given I hit totally what you're saying, and again, I'm only going—I didn't watch the game. I can't uh, profess, but weren't the goals like within the space of a minute or two? Yeah. So it wasn't like right they were the getting bad. They say right literally just before half time, one minute it's it's nil nil and you know it's not that bad. And then bang, couple of ones uh, out of nowhere and you two nil down. Yeah, it, it was just one of those where it irks me, I think significantly more than a a fan of a quote unquote top team because of the fact that we've had so little success and as a Leeds fan you the only thing that we've done is get promoted in the last few years and it's been one of the best achievements of our of, of my life. I don't really remember any other success um, since 2000s. But then you watch a team who have won all those trophies in the last few years. They've been dominant in the League Cup and then because they're not getting their own way this season. And again, look at the league table. They're not miles out of it. It can all change very, very quickly. If Arsenal go and lose... Um, Man U this this weekend it all flips on its head again so it, it can all change very quickly so I think it's more that entitled towards that the pram yeah, yeah I, think, exactly. I think you're right that's, that's, that's hitting the nail on the head but what we did do this week um, 
is we went to an FA Cup game. So I took you to the Leeds-Cardiff game. We had quite a bit of a enjoyable night. Not so much because of the football. Uh, the football really good, because obviously we got to see, I think, six goals before we left. Uh, so we didn't see the, the penalty at the end, because obviously you've got to get back to Ponting. It's quite a drive. Um, it's a strange place. It's the West End, Metland Road, isn't it? Met your mate's mum, didn't I? <laughs> so the, <laughs> there's got to be context here, so... If they listen to this, then obviously, or if it does go viral, eventually. I, can take you, I guarantee those two he do not listen be. to this. So there's a couple that sit next to me, and there's this older lady, and she and her husband sit next to each other, or what I perceived as her and her husband. And Ian pointed out quite early on, saying, well, that guy's here with his mum. I'm like, no, it's not his mum. It's his, his, his wife. But, yeah, it... it just descended into absolute chaos and obviously Ian knowing that he's not going to be back in those seats this weekend unlike me he kind of just made it completely awkward and then scurried out there as quickly as he could I just so good seats what were th- three seats your seats are three rows back from behind the dugout five or six I think so just a very very good seats very close to the action very enjoyable match but we literally must be a couple of minutes in and I'm like to Daryl What's the dynamic here with your guys to, to your right and his mum? Daryl was, no, it's not his mum, that's his wife. I was like, I'm telling you, that is not... <laughs> there must be a minimum of a 30-year age gap between these two people. I've never seen a more obvious guy with his mum in my life. And Daryl's not having any of it that this is his partner or wife. And I was just perplexed. The thing that I found more perplexing, if I'm totally honest, is Daryl goes with his girlfriend, Megan. They've been going for how many years now? Fiancé, otherwise she might Fiancé, I apologise, Megan. Uh, uh, <laughs> Fiancé, my, my, my apologies. Uh, how many years have been going? Five or six now. Five years, and so much so that I said to Daryl, what does Meg think? Meg must have, you must have had this discussion before. Daryl texts Meg, they've never had this discussion. I've had it in two minutes, I've clocked this couple that this must be. Who did Meg agree with? Yourself. But but in those two minutes, you're saying that as if it's something that any people would definitely discuss. In that two minutes, you said that the person sat next to you was fat and massive, and to be fair, we're taking your seat up. We were like, what? which he was. <laughs> you were taking piss out of the dugout and the players that were in dugout. You're taking piss out of the people next to us. I would just basically sat there, knowing full well that I'm definitely going to get a call at some point next week, getting my season ticket revoked. Of course, it's very loud. They can't hear what we're saying about them, even though we're sat next to them. It's very difficult, particularly the couple to the right, because I would have thought they've, they've probably got slight hearing problems. So, uh, But it was a very fun night, I have to say. Um, good game of football. Uh, a non-to. I mean, what a goal. 30 seconds in, 20, 20, 20, 20 30 seconds in. With the football on. <laughs> it was... Uh, I really like the look of non-to. Uh, Paolo Di Canio-esque. Ah, abs- literally, yeah. Very, very similar. A little bit closer in. Um, but... A magical finish. Um, looked good all game, didn't he? Very lively. A kid going to the top. It will be at Leeds for very much longer. Cardiff think. were appalling, if we can be honest, which makes it slate maybe slightly worse that they did score two goals. But as I said to you, you were you were very bothered by that, weren't you? And I was saying, you fucking five new up. Who gives a fuck? The goals they that we conceded. The we didn't see, obviously, because we left before. So it was 5-1 when we left. Um, didn't see the penalty. It's very much on the line. It's a handball. So it's basically the ball's crossing the his hand and... A penalty I can accept. When <laughs> you've got a really poor championship, bottom of the championship, may I add, or very close to the bottom of the championship, winger taking on... Were it Ojo? 
I didn't yeah, come Ojo off at point. absolutely rinsed Firpo. Disgusting. Didn't he? And then takes it past Urente as well and makes them both look like clowns. Who you have been saying to me is a good player, and now you've seen him in the flesh. You know full well that he is garbage. It was woeful. Yeah, yeah terrible. I can't deny it. But then they play the ball in. It goes through the other centre back's legs. And then goes on the deflection. Up, <laughs> didn't it? Literally as a gift. Comical. It's and just the, the, the worst thing is the guy that scored, the former West Brom lad, was it Robinson? Yep. Absolute garbage. I mean, I think he'd we, we had four touches, I think, before he scored. Four Three offside. of them were offside. It's, like, it's <laughs> fucking horrendous. All he did was be offside. It's horrendous. Uh, and he was quite, you know, a great player, but was a bit of a prospect when he was at West Brom. Um, only highlight remotely from Cardiff's point of view that... Even you could say was otherwise you wouldn't slit your wrists if you were not a Cardiff fan because they were appalling. Was um, Roman Sawyer's 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 yeah very very good performance I thought it literally he, carried he will the be team. At Cardiff that next very season. good player, wasn't yeah. he? Very neat and tidy, nice touches, collecting the ball from midfield. I thought he was the only player that I would even remotely mention in terms of giving Cardiff anything. They were woeful. He is getting on a bit now though. He's thirty-one. You're not going to get your big move, but yeah. I, I thought he was class. Very, very, very classy. I'm very impressed with him, in fact. I think they only got him this summer, from the looks of it. Um, but yeah, he, he was... Uh, really highly rated, wasn't he? Was it Brentford, I think? Correct? Yes, from Brentford to West, West Brom. Brom. Um, and then since that move has sort of been on a down spiral. But yeah, enjoyable night. And now you can see exactly how cold it is as well. And me and Meg have to go to midweek games. It was my feet. Got home and fuck me. I must have been in an hour before I could warm my feet up. Every other bit I was all right. My feet were frozen. It's horrible. It's literally horrible. I think that's the, the thing that people don't appreciate when you go to football games. You say, oh, yeah, I go all the time. Like, oh, right, I'd, I'd like to go to a football game. You go all the time. You get stuck in traffic. You have someone shouting programs in your face as you walk past them every single day. You've got people sat next to you eating ready salted crisps every single game. And then you've got to stand there in cold. <laughs> and if you're a Leeds fan, you win probably one out of eight games and you have to pay £700 for privilege of it. Gave me a new level of respect for all, uh, particularly travelling, but uh, any fans. I said to you, I can be doing that every week. Fucking freezing, stick in the traffic, straight from work, didn't we? Didn't, you know, out from um, that day, you kindly picked me up. So out from, you must have left your house at half seven, something like that. Didn't get back to what, quarter past ten? Yeah. Um, so it's a long day, sat in traffic, say freezing your fucking tits off, and it's to try and get that cold out of you was horrendous. And we had, I mean, I was layered up, gloves, scarf, everything. But fuck me, that was brutal. It gave me a new found respect for people that do that day in or week in, week out as a as a season ticket holder. I've moaned about it all the time, but I still won't give it up. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, God, I, I suppose I have to go. But if you took that away from me. I'd, I'd have like a gap in my life same with Meg it's a bit weird actually because she's not necessarily massively into football but the routine of going and watching your home games it takes a massive part of your life so. I always used to say and I think if nothing else that has just replicated it for me the dream for me would be half a season ticket so like share it with somebody and you go to half the games so that you could have a couple of weeks off Good if you wanted luck. like that of oh, course. What, what games are you going to? Um, I'll go to Man City, City Man, Man United, Liverpool. I get it. I totally get it. And it's not as easy as it sounds. But in terms of that amount of football, to not do it every week would be would be perfect for me. I think, again, every week, I'm not sure. I actually, even if you could, I definitely wouldn't do it if you said to me, Liverpool's season ticket and you've got to drive over from Leeds for every game, like on a Wednesday. Nah, I love Liverpool, but 
I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, I don't think I could go any further than Ellen Road, I think, if it were. Well, How much traffic we sat in to go, like, fucking seven miles from the office to fucking yeah, Ellen well, Road, that, let alone 70 miles or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beyond achievable. It's the joy me. of supporting the team where you're actually from instead of supporting someone like Liverpool when you're well, from what about supporting down the team? south. Does that mean you're not allowed to fucking move from wherever you're born no. to make sure that you always ever... Well, not when you start down south and you actually have somehow moved closer to the team that you're supporting and you still won't go well, to Well, shout out to uh, my mate who we met there, Joy. One of his mates from home came up. He goes to a lot of games. He lives in Northampton. Well, He'd come ridiculous. to Northampton for that game. Glory supporter. <laughs> You know, glory support for Leeds. There's no glory in that. And it comes from Northampton. So that's that's dedication for you. Yeah, dedication beyond. Um, a few little extra bits then. Trossard has forced his move to Arsenal. So this has been in the press quite a lot in the last few weeks. He's suddenly not happy. Deserbe made it quite clear that he wasn't happy with how Trossard was conducted himself. It were always going to end in, in one way with him getting a move. Arsenal, I think, are the only team that have really shown any interest in them. Um, prime age, perfect. I'm a bit confused personally as to why Arteta wants someone who has forced his way out of a club in this type of manner, very publicly, in a squad or team where, yes, he's going to thrive because, yes, he's a very good player, but he's just spent the last year getting all these troublemakers out. So what's the benefit there? Totally agree. Feel, feels a little bit. I tell you, I say what it feels like to me. It feels very um, a result and a kind of a, a knee jerk reaction to not getting the Ukrainian lad. Yeah, that was someone who I, apparently is, is a little bit of a trouble within the squad himself. Anyway, so again, strange decision. Not a perfect personality or fit, but it feels a little bit like they come under a bit of pressure all of a sudden. We've known that they've got a couple of injuries in, in, in Jesus and, and maybe the, the squad is a little bit threadbare and it feels to me a bit... We all think he's a decent player. He suddenly dropped off the radar, was tearing up at the start of the season, suddenly showing himself to be a bit of a immature asshole and, and a bit petulant and, and you know someone that you wouldn't necessarily want in your dressing room. And, and to me, that feels very much that... Obviously, they wouldn't have got Trossard if they'd got the Ukrainian lad, but it feels to me like they've had to try and do something to justify it. And almost ironically, it's almost the exact opposite of Arsene Wenger because that motherfucker would never spend a penny like he was getting a retention bonus. Whereas it feels now very, as you say, knee-jerk, right, 20-whatever mil, bang, just to get someone in, just to maybe appease the fans a bit because we've missed out to Chelsea. I, don't get me wrong, I think he's, he's a very good player, is Trossard, and he will definitely add something to the team but I think he'll also add something behind the scenes and I, I never like when you see a player come out very publicly and do what Trossard has done and it always don't be wrong you're going to get a lot of Arsenal fans who are going to turn around and say look he's forced his way out of that club because he wants to come to us it's nothing to do with that at all he's forced his way out of the club because he's not happy with not getting the game time that he necessarily believes he deserves um, and maybe the stature of the squad but I wouldn't personally want a player that has very publicly done this. If Ruter came out and said, yeah, you know what, Hoffenheim, not for me anymore, can't stand them, can't stand this manager, get me to Leeds United, yes, you're going to get a very good player, but you're also going to incite a lot of things behind the scenes, and I just don't think it's what Arsenal need right now, personally, especially when you're going so well. I think it heaps of pressure on him, and it heaps a bit of pressure on Arteta as well, in terms of sort of, if it doesn't, 
go quite the way and he shows that side that he's showing at Brighton at Arsenal and comes in and up, upsets the dressing room um, equally there never seemed to be any sign of that until the last what month or so so maybe he's just he is actually generally a, a good lad a good pro you know not like that this is just he felt that he was going to have his chance of a big move and he needed to do this now so time will tell but on paper in terms of ability wise good signing well he's not sure he's what they need. Yeah, but a I was going to say potentially he is potentially available for the Man U game this weekend. So we'll see how that goes, and obviously that'd be a perfect indication of just how good of a sign it is. Especially considering, obviously, Man U have going um, to be without Casemiro. Obviously, he didn't play in the first game that they played last time, but he's had quite an influence on the the Man U squad. So definitely a game to watch, and, and definitely to see, obviously, if, if Trossard plays that. Um, last little bit then, so. The first significant fight of the year for British boxing. So we've got Chris Eubank Jr. versus Liam Smith. Uh, it's in Manchester tomorrow night. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this. This is a really strange step, I think, for Eubank Jr. in the sense that he's just gone from obviously a very controversial potential fight against Conor Ben at the catchweight uh, promotion, which was obviously always built on the issues between their uh, dads 30 years ago. This is a significantly harder fight for Eubank Jr. to take and respect to him for taking this. I think it's one that he, he wins, but it can definitely go either way on this. I think he's quite a heavy favourite in the betting at the moment, which is strange to me because it's not as though Liam Smith is a pushover in, in any way, shape or form. He's only got two losses on his career, one of them against um, Canelo. Canelo, which, <laughs> yeah, I think... Everyone um, really writes that sort of loss off. Um, Eubank Jr. has only got two losses as well. So he, um, Billy John Saunders and George Groves um, were the ones that beat him. He's significantly improved since those fights. He's got Roy Jones Jr. as his trainer, which is uh, obviously... Mr. Leffert. Yeah, former world champion. Um, the build-up has been very feisty. The gloves are off that they did was probably the most entertaining gloves are off that I've seen in a long while since uh, oh, Groves and Frotch. That were always an entertaining one. Got a bit spicy at the press conference, Got really it? spicy, and it, it's led to a bit of a pushback, especially against Smith, because Smith essentially came out and questioned Eubank Jr.'s sexuality. It's always a bit of a weird one when fighters get really personal. I get turning around and saying, I'm going to smash your face in, I'm going to batter you, I can't wait to stand over the canvas, but going into people's personal lives just seems <laughs> to be... It's it's a lose lose because either nothing happens and you're inciting your opponent to come out and start battering your head in, or as we've seen with this, not only are you going to get that, you're also going to get the press being on your back, um, the British Boxing Board of Control being on your back, the fans being on your back, and then Eubank Junior has essentially rebutted that by saying that he's heard that he's been cheating on his wife and stuff. So it's it's worked out really well for him. He basically bit, didn't he, if you ask me. Uh, Eubank Jr. is the heel. He says some shit that is designed to get under your skin. Uh, He is a proponent, which I don't disagree with, but I think he's not very good at the, the, what I call the mental warfare aspect, which Connor was back to the UFC was, and Mayweather to some degree were amazing at, is taking people off their game just by talking shit so that fighters get so angry, they forget the game plan they they lose all fight IQ and the planning and the training that they've got with the fight just because they want to rip the fucking head off because of what he's saying and to me Smith's comments while certainly don't condone what he said 
He's just got lulled in, hasn't he? He's got a bit in. He's got sucked in a bit. He's been baited and he's just thought... It's like playground shit, isn't it? Whenever you hear two fighters that it gets a bit personal and they've bitten on each other, it always descends down a slightly personal and childish kind of um, avenue. And it felt to me that um, Smith had definitely bitten on that. He's probably, if anything else, as angry with himself as as much anger and hate he seems to be getting from other people because he knows he's risen to the bait. And Eubank Jr. has got a massive smile on his face because he knows he's got under his skin and baited him. Yeah, exactly that. And in the um, the way into the final way, and Eubank Jr. is coming wearing a rainbow armband as well, just to sort of reinforce that. And obviously, in the sense of, of showing support to the LGBTQ community as well. Um, you're right, it's very playgroundy. The, the only thing that would have pushed it even more that way would have been if he'd have turned around and said, yeah, I've shagged you, ma'am, or something like that. Something even more ridiculous. Um, I would have loved that, to be fair. I think that would, that, <laughs> like, that would Tell be your dad that I've shagged you, ma'am. I've Batista bombed your nan in the middle of Asda. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just, it does literally get back to being like, but back at school, doesn't it? But um yeah, I think he has just got baited. I think he he does get under people's skin, and that works. We've seen it before. If you just tear out out of a corner, no game for, uh, plan, bite down on your gum shield, and ah, talking everything tight, you can get exposed. And, and, and Eubank Junior is the type of boxer as well that will look to expose those holes if you come out. But I expect to see. Smith coming out like a fucking train in that first round. Yeah, and he's got to try and get some of the momentum early on. Otherwise, I think it'll be a bit of a an easier fight than some might predict for you, Bunch Junior. Uh, Only thing I think you made a good point about the. I often judge boxers not necessarily by their winning records because, particularly in boxing, and particularly certain places in the world, Mexico, UK, America, are my main points here. People's records are padded with bullshit. So Canelo is a massive one. Canelo's got like 50-odd wins. Fucking, you know, 45 of them. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's a lot. If you look at Eubank Jr., people are talking about him winning. He's lost to Groves, Billy Joe Saunders. Both good fighters. They're not fucking Canelo. Leon Smith's only lot, one of the only two losses is to Canelo. So that, if you judge them by their losses as opposed to their wins, Smith's a lot better boxer for me and I think people are sleeping on him if I'm completely honest I do see Eubank winning just because I thought I think he's caught Smith slightly on the downslope age-wise and hunger-wise you got the Smith of maybe three four years ago just after he'd lost to Canelo or when he was at that level he was a motherfucker do you think Eubank Jr knocks him out or do you think it's a points win I would be surprised if he KOs him only because do you think yeah I think I do think he win. I, I say if you look at those records alone, Smith's the better boxer for me. Two, two losses, better, better caliber of man has beaten him than has beaten Eubank Junior. But I feel like he will. He, he he's got too personal. He's bit that often leads to disaster for fighters. That's why I think he knocks him out. I think he'll he'll come out Smith quite strong as you say he'll want to put his, his impacts down early in the fight and I think he'll get knocked out I, you know what I'm going to go for a prediction on a round as well on Mystic Market I think he knocks him out in the seventh okay I'd love to go seeing it purely is because you've got a woeful record of calling fights whenever <laughs> we do this the complete opposite so I feel Smith like now I've got first. to say Smith I think if Smith wins it would be on points I, I'll be honest I don't see a Smith knockout as, as a method of victory but yeah I could see Eubank Jr. on points or maybe in the later rounds, but I'm 
pretty much said all outcomes of Yeah, brilliant. I, I feel like I, I could see a draw. Smith points. Okay. Um, very last bit then. So just about Eubank Jr. If he does win this, does he elevate himself back onto the world title scene? And can you see him fighting for a world title anytime soon if he does? So, the world it's a title. hard sell in terms of who have got the slices of his titles. Well, you wouldn't expect him to go after GGG. Um, That's a bad matchup. Although he is on the slide and he's getting obviously a little bit older. WBC, I think Jamal Charlo is fighting in Feb, so it's not going to be him. WBO is an unbeaten Kazakhstani boxer who I've never heard of before. Whether he's an upcoming prospect or not, I, I simply don't know. So that might be the one that Name? he targets. Not a chance. <laughs> Yanni Beck Ali Kal Nuli. And I bet it's nothing bomb. like that. Yeah, I bet it's absolutely nothing like that. Um, I think that's a good point. To I mean, it. GGG would be the fight if you were going to try and take one on, but carry on catch him on the slide. Still hits like a fucking train, that man, I tell you. Yeah, it, I don't... I, can't see that personally. I can't see him fighting him. Um, I would be uh, again. I've, I've never heard of the the Kazakhstani either. But what I know based on fighting generally, and particularly more the UFC, that area of the region, never fight an undefeated Kazakhstani <laughs> Dagestani. They are not people to fuck with. So I don't know if he'd want that fight either. Um, that leaves him with limited options, doesn't it? Really, I piss myself if he did take that fight and then start trying to box him. All of a sudden, he just gets taken down and choked out. Khabib. <laughs> But no, um, perfect place to end it, I think. Um, Thanks very much for listening, as always. And of course, we'll speak to you next week. 